0: Hey folks, my name is Jayee. I use she, her pronouns and I'm thrilled to welcome you back to the 2 Mess podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're excited to have you.
1: I'm Will and I use he, him pronouns. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is created and produced by UBC's Student Alumni Council, also known as the SAC. The SAC's mission is to connect current students with alumni and to foster campus pride. In today's episode, we will be speaking with a special guest, Sabrina Spencer, about her path getting into law. Before we begin today's episode, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording this episode from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musquean people. We recognize that you may be joining us from lands near or far, and we encourage you to learn about the traditional owners and caretakers of those lands.
0: Sabrina Spencer is a Canadian native having completed her undergraduate degree at the University of Alberta in Economic and German Language and Literature. She went on to pursue a Master's degree in Environmental Studies at York University, and finally obtained her Juris Doctor in Law at UBC's Allard Law School. She is currently an Associate Lawyer at Faskin, practicing in areas of environmental, climate and Indigenous law, with a focus on promotion of reconciliation and addressing climate change. Recognized as one of Business in Vancouver's 40 Under 40 in 2022, she has many experiences to share, and we're very lucky to have her join us today.
1: Awesome. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Do you want to start off with a brief introduction for
2: yourself? Uh, Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. Um, So I'm Sabrina Spencer. I'm currently an associate lawyer at Faskin focusing on climate change, uh, indigenous reconciliation and environmental law. Uh, I came to law as a second career. So I was previously in um, commercial banking focusing on renewable energy, green buildings uh, before moving into corporate sustainability and then moving back into school, which became law school. So jaggedy path, but it's sort of all starting to make sense. Oh, and you asked for a fun fact. My fun fact is I genuinely love the dentist. That tooth scrapey thing is one of my favorites. I voluntarily go to the dentist extra times every year because I love it. I call it the tooth spa.
1: That is absolutely wild. One of the craziest fun facts I've ever heard in my life. Okay, wow. What a way to start off today. Uh, Thanks for that. Thanks for the introduction, Sabrina. And also that fun fact is going to leave me thinking for a long time still. Um, Every time you go to the
2: dentist now, you're going to like it a little bit more because you're going to be like, yeah, it's
0: actually not that bad.
1: Honestly, I need that because you know I need to go to the dentist. Anyway. <laughs> um, okay, without without that, uh, let's get a little bit into the questions themselves. Um, let's start off with a little bit of a que- couple questions about the path you've taken to get into law. Um, your undergraduate degree isn't really tied with law as closely as what me- people might think you need to study. Um, so I was wondering if you would give a little bit of background on what you did study. You don't need to tell us too much about it, um, but also wondering like what it was like and what drove you to pursue um, that specific degree for your undergrad.
2: Uh, Sure. So I think uh, the best piece of advice I got when I was sort of in that horrible point in grade 12 and you're trying to decide the rest of your life was uh, one of my teachers said, your first degree is kind of like the high school diploma from his generation. So his advice was just find what you want to study and just enjoy it because you won't be done school after the four years. So when I started at U of A, I i am not a science numbers person, so I always knew I would be in the arts world. Uh, I'd studied German in high school, and I wanted to do an exchange, so that's kind of how I got the German language part, and economics, you know, I took all of the first-year classes that you take, and that was just the one that really resonated with me, and I spent a lot of time doing um, international development economics when I was at U of A, and honestly, looking back, it was kind of a good a good grounding. As much as you love or hate the economic system we live our lives in, it's it's been really useful to have a background in that.
1: Absolutely, I, really useful. In the world.
2: Totally. And I would also just say that that comment around you know what people should study before they go into law school, I would throw that completely out the window. I don't mm. think there's anything that someone needs to focus on to get into law school. Um, I know people who have undergrads and everything from. The things you would expect to opera um pottery medical sciences like honestly getting into law school right or wrong it's your gpa and your lsat so take something you enjoy you'll get better grades and it'll give you a more interesting background when you get into law
1: wow, that's really interesting advice because i think there's kind of maybe a preconceived notion for a lot of students that they need to be studying poli sci or literature or you know philosophy or something like that but that's really good to know that you know it's you can focus on what you want to focus on pre-law that's a really useful maybe tip for people who are listening um, we also noticed that between your undergraduate and master's degrees I mean you took a little bit of a break um, what did you do during that time and did it impact your decision to pursue a master's whatever you were doing during that time
2: Yeah, so that was when I had my sort of interlude in banking. So I got a job in banking actually while I was still finishing my undergrad. I never thought I would work in banking, but when I started looking at what I wanted to do after my undergrad, um, banking offered the most vacation time. So four weeks vacation (laughs) sounded like a great reason to take a job. Uh, So I started in Edmonton uh, and then moved out to Vancouver a couple of years later. Uh, And that's really where I started focusing on renewable energy lending and green building financing. And then Mm -hmm. staying within the bank, I moved into corporate sustainability, which it was more years ago than I'd care to admit. Um, But at Mm -hmm. that point, sustainability was really, really in its infancy. So there weren't a lot of jobs in Canada. In fact, I was the only Uh, Corporate sustainability employee in the Canadian bank. So I was de facto head of corporate sustainability for uh, an international bank in Canada. And, you know, I was a late 20 something go getter who had kind of reached the pinnacle of what I could do with the bank in Canada. So I had an amazing um, manager at the time who said, Well, let's put you on a leave and go do your master's. So I moved to Toronto. Um, and did a master's in environmental studies fully intending to go back to the bank Um, but I did a couple of classes at Osgoode Hall in my first year of grad school and that turned into me saying thanks for the leave bank but I'm going to law.
1: Yeah hey sometimes you need to pivot right Um, that's a really really fascinating path too and I'm wondering a little bit more about like what drew you towards um environmental studies because initially you studied economics and literature right so you definitely pivoted a bit there towards the environment
2: yeah and i think sort of the pivot had more to do with the fact that i grew up in alberta and sort of environmental studies weren't weren't really a big avenue of study i think at that point it mm-hmm. was very much a science specific topic so it was you know environmental sciences or earth sciences it wasn't kind of like the environmental planning environmental advocacy paths of study that you see now um and i'd always been interested in the environment because i actually grew up on a farm in southern alberta so even in the span of my own life i mean i've seen the climate change i've seen how the growing seasons have changed So I always was trying to figure out how to have a quote-unquote real job uh, and work Mm -hmm. in the environmental sphere. And, yeah, it took me kind of a few degrees and a few different tries to figure out what that looks like.
1: That's a very cool path, though. Thanks for sharing that.
2: Yeah, of course. Happy. I'm an open book. (laughs) Now that you've got the dentist story out of the way, you can really ask me anything. It's not going to get weirder than that.
1: (laughs) I love that.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, and we're just like looking at your path in the banking, um, banking sustainability, you mentioned that you're one of the first people, um, if not the only person in that field. So what was like, what was that like being kind of the pioneer in sustainability banking and figuring things out? I imagine that was a lot of um, what you had to do.
2: Yeah, I think it was, it was an interesting time to be in that role. Um, Someone had been in the role before me. So I think I was the second person to have the role, but the only person at the time. Um, sort of having, I guess, the perspective on the world that I had, You, I could kind of see where the field of, you know, ESG, environmental and social governance, corporate social responsibility was heading. But at that point, it was still really in its infancy. So it was very much looking at the economics and how does the finances of this work? What is the business opportunity? So it was a lot of kind of trying to convince people that this was the path we needed to move on. And you couldn't really just say, because we're destroying the planet, it had to kind of be backed up in, well, you know, there's going to be um, PR risks associated with these things if we don't start factoring sustainability into our lending practices or If we want to grow our green real estate book, we need to start having more green practices in our own facilities. So looking back at where, sort of what I was doing in sustainability, you know, the little, sort of the little steps that we made at the time were actually really big ones because it really did change the path to people having these conversations. So it's it's really interesting to see how far it's come. And of course, still kind of working in that field on the legal side.
0: Yeah, it's really cool to see how you're able to frame it to a population um, so that they're willing to listen. And I don't think a lot of people think about that when looking into sustainability and business and um, like advancement in the future. So that's really cool.
2: Yeah, well, and I think it's sort of, you know, coming out of law school, I mean, I have some friends who are working for like the environmental defenses and eco justices of the world, and that's clearly not the path my career has taken, it's always been on the corporate side. But I think the reality, I mean, do I wish we lived in a world where you didn't have to put an economic value onto carbon and biodiversity to get it protected and conserved? Absolutely. But that's not the world that we live in. So I think there's absolutely a role for the people who have the luxury and the ability to be a very altruistic advocate for these things. But I do think if you actually want to make progress, there is something to be said for knowing how to work within the system. And sometimes that does mean you have to be a bit of a squeaky wheel and you have to be prepared to sometimes use very frank language, we'll say, to keep it PG, um, to sort of show people what needs to be done. But in that field, you can, I think, create a lot of change.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome. And then I guess... Um, going back to pursuing law school, you mentioned that you took a couple of courses at Osgood during your first year of your Mm -hmm. master's. Um, So before that, was law ever on your mind? um, Was there like a very specific course or prof that made you kind of switch there?
2: Um, I think if you had talked to me in my undergrad, I would have said that I wanted to be a human rights lawyer, but I was painfully, painfully shy to the point where the thought of having to not even go to court but you know stand up in front of a law class and ask a difficult question was just terrifying so I'm not sure what happened between then and now because I'm certainly not shy and not afraid to say whatever needs to be said um, but it just it just wasn't my time to go to law school so it, again looking back sort of the zigzag path it makes sense mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I guess the time working in banking, that definitely, you you have to grow some backbone in order to, I feel, make your, make advancements and um, make a place in the workplace.
2: Well, I think kind of once, for me anyways, once I figured out the path that I wanted to take, what that looked like, it was easier to assert myself and to put myself out there a little bit more because I had a reason for doing so and, and I wanted to move myself forward that's awesome.
1: Cool. I've got a couple questions about particularly what it was like to apply to law school and then what the process of being in law school was like. Because I think a lot of the people listening to this podcast are probably current students who are maybe considering a path in law. And so I think the first question to start off with was, what was the application process like um, when you applied? Obviously, being conscious of the fact that application processes change you know, every year, and it could very well be quite different now. But just in curio- out of curiosity, what was that like for you and what kind of steps were involved?
2: Um, so when I applied, I obviously applied uh, to UBC. That's where I went. But the rest of the schools I applied were in Ontario. So they had a centralized system. So the LSAT was definitely sort of the most time consuming element of the application process. Uh, Cause I think law schools have gotten more holistic now but when I applied it was very much GPA and LSAT driven. Uh, for anyone who's written the LSAT and hasn't done well, I can confidently say that it is in no way a reflection of how you will do in law school or as a lawyer. It is just one of those hurdles you have to do to get to law school. Um, The actual applications for the most part were quite easy. I think there was a couple of schools that you had to write sort of personal statements for, but for the most part, it was just filling out forms and sending in your application fees. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think it's good that that process from my understanding is starting to change. Yeah. Um, Because again, like looking back at law school, you know, most of my friend group didn't go directly to law school. So we actually had a story to tell. Um, And I think in addition to my piece of advice, like don't go into your undergrad saying you have to study X to be a lawyer. I also really recommend that people take a year or two off before law school. Um, Because again, you know, law school, one, forever alters the way that you look at the world, which is something they don't really tell you. But also learning the law is just, part of what it is to be a lawyer, we have to function again within the context of the world. So having some life experience so that you can add that context into your legal advice, I think is really valuable. And also law school is, I mean, I absolutely loved it, but it's not easy. It's a really hard slog. So I think mm-hmm. taking a year or two to kind of think about it and figure out what you want in a work sort of lifestyle is really important.
1: That is some really interesting advice. I I'm curious to know cuz you kind of you 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 said that taking a year or two off can be really beneficial for a lot of people maybe going into law school because it is going to demand a lot of time and you like I think what I'm get what you're getting at maybe is that also or what I'm hearing is that it's very difficult so you should be 100% sure that it's what you want. Um I'm wondering, like when you started law school, were you 100% sure that then after taking that year or two, that time in between, this is what you wanted?
2: Oh, yeah. No, I when I started law school, I was definitely an anomaly, as in I started and I knew I wanted to do uh, environmental and Aboriginal law. So in some ways, when students come to me and they ask what they should take in law school, unless you want to follow that path, I didn't take any classes that would be of interest to you (laughs) after first year. Um, so, I mean, and it definitely was a slog. First year law school is probably the most intense sort of academic intellectual experience I think most people go through,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: cause it's your first year grades that dictate a lot of your future success in the big firm interview process.
1: Mm.
2: Um, but I mean, even, I, I think everyone has a struggle in law school, you know, I knew the type of law I wanted to do, but my big struggle was stay in Vancouver or go back to Toronto. Mm -hmm. Um, For other people who don't know what they want to practice, it's figuring that out. But again, I think the lesson now that I'm a few years out is just just try and enjoy it and just take it as an experience. You know, if you come out and you have decided, oh, I want to be a labor and employment lawyer and a year or two later you want to change gears, you can.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. so it's just it's not easy to not put a lot of pressure on yourself in law school to get it right yeah but there really is no right path you just got to be sure that you want it because you have to work it it. it is a tough slog um but it's also a lot of fun
1: absolutely I think that's probably Obviously, law school to a more intense degree, but university at at the end of the day as well is always going to be a tough slog. So you got to be sure you want it Um, to zero in a little bit more on like the difficulties that you're talking about during law school. um, What can what was your um, like what was the hardest part of law school in your experience in the in terms of the actual academic process? You mentioned some difficulties in terms of you know choosing between Vancouver or Toronto. Uh, That's more of maybe like a, a life. Like the, not problem, but a life uh, thing to think about. But in terms of the actual practice of being in law school, um, what was the hardest part of that?
2: I think the first couple of months of law school is probably the hardest because you don't know anything about the law. It mm-hmm. isn't, you know, I mean, I read a couple of cases because I had taken those two classes at Osgood Hall, but I didn't really know How to read a legal case. I didn't know how to identify a legal principle. So, you really are learning to look at things in a different way. And also, just the intensity. You know, in first year law school, I think you take five or six classes a semester and literally hundreds of pages of reading a week. And you need to do it before class so that you can participate in the conversation. So, it's just, different pace. It's a different atmosphere because you're suddenly surrounded by all of the high achievers and all of the type A students. So it's a lot of challenge, I think, in finding your place in the law school. But in first year, there's the pressure because your grades really matter. But once you're out of first year, the good news is you get to pick your own classes, but none of your exam timelines line up anymore. So I think one year I had three exams in two days and in (laughs) law school, your exams are at least 75, if not a hundred percent of your grade. Yeah. So it's things like that, that law school is is like your undergrad, but to sort of the nth degree.
1: Yeah. Very intense stuff. (laughs) A lot of admiration for even completing it. Um, and so on a maybe a bit more of a positive note, uh, one more question about the actual process of law school. Um, what's maybe your favorite memory of law school?
2: Um, I think for me, it was probably so uh, in second year, I was co-president of a group called the Women's Caucus, which the role of that student organization was to promote uh, female and female identifying students within the community, connecting you with the practicing community. Uh, And in that role, every year there's a women in law dinner. So the Women's Caucus plans it. I had a fantastic group uh, of female friends. Most of us are still really close. So it was basically me and my best friends planning this dinner. Uh, And I remember the dinner went off really well. We had a fantastic speaker. And then at the end of the night, it was just sort of the executive. So me and my besties in the ballroom. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we were law students, law school isn't cheap, Vancouver isn't cheap, and there was a bunch of half-drunk bottles of wine on the table. So we just found a cozy spot in the hotel ballroom and wonderful. made sure nothing was left over.
1: Such an important lesson to never leave anything to waste.
2: Exactly, right? Waste is horrible.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, But once again, showing that, like, you know, some of the best memories of school in general, whether it be university or law school, are the memories we make with people, like, along the way and the friends we meet, because those lead to networks and, you know, important connections that we have in communities. And so I think that that memory honestly brings really true for a lot of people, even studying university now, whether it's their undergrad or their master's or their third or fourth degree, maybe. It's very true.
2: Totally. There were also many, you know, because you, the, the law school is open 24 hours a day during exam season. So there were some times where, you know, we would get like, do green juice runs at like midnight or 1am or go to Whole Foods and just buy whole pies five yeah. minutes before the store closed. Like you just do what you got to do.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a very unique experience being in school. <laughs>
2: it It really is. It really is. And I know when you're in it, people are like, oh, you're going to look back on school and you're going to love it. Yeah. I'm sad to say I'm at the age where I can confirm that is true.
1: (laughs) You know what? I'm glad that I'm glad that I'll have that memory to look back on though. whether it be undergrad or or law school. It's nice to be able to look back on it.
0: (laughs) Thanks for sharing your experiences there. Um, I know that people listening will definitely be able to relate and have something to look forward to, even if it's a tough time, um, looking forward to those times with friends. And so kind of continuing on looking at um, career and job search. So I know that a lot of students in the summer in law school, they're interning or applying to big firms. So I was just wondering, did you have similar experiences there or how did you spend your summers in law school and after law school as well?
2: Sure. So um. My first year summer, I actually got a grant from the law school. So I spent my summer in the Philippines working on fisheries law. So I worked with the Philippine Department of Fisheries and Oceans and traveled around the country. Uh, it was after Typhoon Haiyan, which had wiped out a lot of the rural communities. So I traveled around to remote parts of the Philippines and helped local fisher folk communities set up marine protected areas, which... I mean, it was an awesome way to spend a summer. Uh, And I think in a lot of ways, I got a lot out of it as a future lawyer, just around how to communicate legal concepts with the communities who are actually impacted by the laws. And also marine law happens by beaches. So that was a pleasant coincidence that I really didn't think about uh, when I decided to spend my summer that way. And then I I did, for my second year summer, I did do the big firm thing. So I summered at one of the big firms. Um, And then once you summer, you generally get hired back for articles, but in third year I applied for a clerkship. So I actually um, graduated law school, took a month off, traveled, did the four month bar exam, took a month off, traveled, and then I clerked at the BC Supreme Court for a year and then went back to my big firm for my articles.
0: Wow. Sounds like every summer was so different. Um, and I feel like when like speaking with lawyers or hearing about law school, I haven't heard of people being able to travel as much. And most people just usually stay around or um, work or study. I don't know. That could be a very a misconception that I have. But that's really cool that you were able to travel. I feel like that's a unique experience.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that was maybe part of being like a more mature slash old student in law school is you kind of really focus on the, you know, the reality is most students don't have a lot of money in law school, but you have access to a large line of credit. So I have a chunk of travel on my law school student loan, and I have zero regrets about it. Uh, so yeah, I think every year I traveled for at least a month. um, And it was just great, because like, when else are you gonna do that? Yeah, and also... Going back to the like ultimate success as a lawyer thing, during interviews, it's great when you can talk about random travel experiences you had. So it's not even a frivolous vacation. You're basically just building up interesting interview material. (laughs) And what I told myself every time I got my student loan bill after traveling.
0: I mean, it sounds like it was the right choice. So I'll definitely be keeping that in mind if I ever get told I shouldn't travel. <laughs> yeah, no, ignore them and book the ticket, always. Awesome, and so we touched on today, um, in, in the beginning of today's episode, that you pr- practice at Faskin, specifically in environmental, climate, and Indigenous law. So can you tell us a little bit more about what that field of law is like?
2: Sure, um, I think the one word that describes it all is dynamic. Um, on the Indigenous piece, Obviously, in British Columbia and now at the federal level, we're actively implementing the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, which means that there is no end of work from a legal perspective. Um, The government is currently going through the process of collaborating with Indigenous nations and governing bodies to update legislation, which means we're constantly being called on to sort of reinterpret the law and what it means to operate a business in those frameworks. There's also just a lot of interesting things happening, you know, business to business between corporations and indigenous economic development units and nations. So it's it's a great area of law from that perspective um, because it's sort of like practicing international law within your own country because every nation has their own laws and their own approach to laws. And it's also completely novel. So, you know, in law, one thing you hear is precedents are a big thing. Someone drafts a contract once and you just kind of keep building off of it. That doesn't happen as much in the Indigenous law space because you are doing things for the first time,
0: Mm you know,
2: a a lot of times. Um, And then on the climate change environmental side, it's really the same, the same story. So, Every time a new international treaty is signed uh, right now, you know, last year we had two sort of UN conference of the parties, the climate change COP and the biodiversity COP. So now I'm doing a lot of work around what will biodiversity credits look like? What does the ESG strategy look like? So it, it really is just constantly evolving and changing. It's a lot of work to stay up to speed with all of the changes, but also keep your practice in order. Um, but I think it's for me, it's a really exciting area. Um, you know, one thing I like about law is you're constantly challenged, you're constantly learning, and it's impossible to practice in the areas of law that I do without constantly learning something new.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds so dynamic. Um, You must, you have to love a challenge. You have to be willing to learn. It sounds like, especially in the areas that you practice in order to, I guess, be successful and also enjoy it.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you just have so many different conversations with people and a lot of the problems that we are trying to figure out are just entirely new problems because we haven't had to deal with climate change impacts. We haven't had to figure out how to make, you know, contractual instruments work for these new, these new situations. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And every day is kind of a new, a new puzzle.
0: Mm -hmm. And I imagine that you also have the opportunity to work with many different stakeholders and communities as well. And so I'm just wondering, who do you collaborate with? And have you worked with anyone um, from indigenous communities specifically?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I've only been at Fascan for a couple of months. Um, before joining Faskin, I was the Vice President of Environment and Regulatory at the BC Council of Forest Industries. Mm-hmm. So it was an industry association representing most of the major tenure holders. So in that position, I worked a lot with uh, the provincial and the federal governments, again, helping them with the, the under implementation and sort of how do we incorporate climate change into our laws. Because of the nature of my practice, I generally work most directly with the corporations. Um, That said, I've worked with Indigenous nations sort of through the process of negotiating what are called impact benefit agreements with my clients. Um, So, those are agreements if you are building a project or doing some sort of work on a nation's traditional territories, you generally I would say it's really table stakes now in a lot of ways um, you enter into an IBA to discuss how you're going to work together, sort of how the benefit the nation will benefit from the economic activity on their territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and at an earlier, firm, I also had the unique opportunity of working with some indigenous governments, drafting bylaws and doing some sort of local government type work. So again, the great thing about law is you can kind of make your practice, whatever you want it to be and focus on the clients that you want.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really special that you get to work with so many different kinds of people. Um, do you have maybe a favorite interaction or experience that you've had?
2: I mean, I think anytime you get to participate in a traditional ceremony. So if you sign a big IBA, I mean, obviously pre COVID times, um, but to be a part of those types of community celebrations or events is always pretty spectacular. Um, I mean, I've been very, very privileged in that I have always worked with really great clients and really great colleagues. So, you know, everything from I was at COP in Egypt last year uh, and spent some time with Indigenous peoples from Canada, but also from other parts of the world and just hearing the narratives and the perspectives. And I'm a lonard. I think it's all pretty great so that's probably a horrible question to ask (laughs) talk forever
0: that's so valid it all sounds so amazing yeah um and so it sounds like you do so many different things and you're constantly traveling and moving as well so we were going to ask what a typical day in work looks like for you but I I I can imagine like every day must be so different yeah
2: I don't I don't know that many lawyers would say they have a typical day. Um, At the beginning of the day, you always have a to-do list of all the work that you already know is on your plate and you want to get through. But all it takes is one phone call or email from a client or a government announcement and your day is kind of, quote unquote, off the rails. But that's kind of what makes it so much fun is you just always have to go with the flow and you're certainly never bored but there's really not a typical day Uh, I would say the only thing that's constant in my days is probably the amount of caffeine I consume other than that you never know what you're gonna get
0: yeah I can imagine it takes a lot of caffeine to power you through those days um and so has there been a favorite project or place that you have worked on given that you've been able to travel like a Actually, in Egypt last year and um, things like that.
2: Well, I mean, attending COP and and speaking um, at the Canadian Pavilion was definitely a highlight. I think just being part of that community and hearing all the great work, but also the challenges and the opportunities that are out uh, was pretty amazing. Other than that, I think, uh, so during law school, I did, a three week field school, uh, indigenous field school with uh, the University of Victoria, but it was a group of environmental studies and law students from across the com- country. And we spent the three weeks up on the North coast working with uh, the Haltzik and the Wicano people. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, for a few days, her name was uh, Auntie Evelyn. She's unfortunately passed away um, since I met her on field course, but she was a Wicano elder And she was literally one of the last fluent speakers of their traditional language. And she was just the warmest, absolute warmest person I think I've ever met. And I remember one day um, I was out looking at the water and there were canoes and she just comes up to me and she's like, okay, we're going canoeing. We're going canoeing. I'm from the prairies. I don't do ocean canoeing. (laughs) So I was in this canoe with literally this, national treasure of the Wicano, paddling just thinking oh god please don't like please don't drown this poor woman but we just spent like an hour or two kind of you know she would direct me where we were going and we were harvesting traditional plants and hearing the stories and yeah it wasn't it was a law experience and that it was sort of the context i was in but just you do get a surprising number of opportunities to kind of have these very Um, impactful experiences and I think you just need to try and be in the moment when you have those
0: yeah wow that is very special that is so cool
1: wow that that story is really cool because I think it touches on the human experience that is really behind everything that happens in the legal world yeah I wanted to ask another question about how much of your success in your career do you think it is based on hard work versus luck? Because I think that a lot of people will say that it's a, a unique combination of both in terms of knowing the right people, ending up in the right places. For example, like being, working for a bank that wanted to send you to a master's program that led you decide you wanted to do law. How much of that is luck versus how much of it is, you know, being like putting your head down and just working as hard as possible. And I'm wondering like what, I just want to know your general thoughts on that, I think.
2: Um, I mean, I don't actually, I mean, hard work is obviously a huge part of it. Um, and I'm not sure that I would call it luck, but I think it's sort of the the social or the human side that is a huge part of it. So I would not be where I am in terms of having taken the leave to do grad school or had the career path that I've had if I didn't have the connections that I've made along the way and sort of been lucky enough to have the mentors that I've had. I I think it really is important to have a network that supports you and can put you in touch um, with the people who can help guide, guide your career. But yeah, the, the human element of sort of that aspect is, I don't Mm -hmm. think it can be over overstated.
1: Yeah, I think that maybe people think that there's um, luck involved in knowing the right people or meeting the right people. But you can, if you think it's luck, you can construct that type of luck if you want to, you can put yourself in the right position to meet useful connections and meet impactful people.
2: 100% and like you literally never know where you're going to meet people. So, you know, as much as it used to embarrass the crap out of me when my mother would come visit me when I first moved here and she would ride the elevator in my Yaletown condo and talk to people. And I was like, mom, <laughs> we don't do this. It's Vancouver. It's those types of things that you sometimes just meet people who you know, you'll know you have a coffee with and suddenly, yeah, you're at an event and you're meeting a whole bunch of people and you decide that you want to do something completely different.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that insight there. Um, we've got one last question for you today. Um, kind of a wrap-up question to sum up your thoughts and maybe in, yeah, impart some wisdom. Um, do you have any words of advice for students interested in pursuing a similar career path to you?
2: Um, I feel like I've already dropped all my wisdom. What? I should have waited <laughs> for the last question. Uh, <laughs> I really think the biggest pieces of advice are just enjoy your undergrad. Do something that you enjoy so you will get great grades and not hate your life while you do it, Mm -hmm. Uh, I really think sort of taking some time off to travel and experience the world, volunteer, is invaluable uh, when you want to get into law, because law school is hard, but it also goes really quickly, and suddenly you're on the other side, Mm -hmm. and if you haven't taken a year or two to have those experiences, you don't really have time once you're a lawyer. Um. And yeah, just, I mean, chill out in a lot of ways. I know that's not an easy thing to say when you're making these hard to, like, life decisions, but no decision has to be forever. Um, so just enjoy the experience and look for the insights and the wisdom along the way.
1: I love that. Thank you so much, Sabrina. We really appreciate your time today. Um, it's been really impactful for both Jayi and I and hopefully people listen to the podcast as well. So thank you so much.
2: Yeah, no, thanks for having me. That was
1: fun. It's been a pleasure hosting the 2MS podcast. and Another thanks to Sabrina for joining us today. Hopefully you were able to take something away from hearing about her unique experiences and our best wishes to Sabrina.
0: I would encourage you to follow the SAC on all major social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn. We post lots of exciting opportunities there for UBC students. Thanks for listening, folks, and be sure to tune in for the next one. Hope you have a wonderful day.